0: Right now, we got Dan Terlecki from Powell and Peasman joining us. Dan, it's so great to chat with you, my friend.
1: Pleasure being here. Thanks for having me.
0: I love your story, right? I think we have an image in our head of what lawyers are, and one of the things we try and do in the show is make uh, everyday lawyers uh, much more uh, as relatable as they can be. But you are a relatable guy. You grew up in a blue-collar family, didn't you?
1: Yeah, my father was a tool and die maker. I grew up uh, just outside of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my mother grew up in Chicago, mm-hmm. and
0: uh, yeah, I chose
1: I chose to came
0: here. Do you think that that background helps you in what you do today?
1: I think it does because uh, you know we're going through some you know economic ups and downs right now. And a lot of people are dealing with that sort of thing, and that's the kind of thing that uh, people in those kind of jobs deal with all their lives. You know, mm-hmm. I remember the layoffs. I remember my father having to look for jobs, especially when uh, you know things got bad in the uh, the early two thousands. And uh, that's why I want to you know fight for people that uh, maybe you know you might call them the little guy, or you might call them the people that that don't have. Uh,
0: all the resources in the world, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. The that's, underdog.
1: Somebody that's going to fight for... I want to I be somebody that's going to fight for the people that don't have all those resources.
0: What sorts of cases do you handle?
1: So I handle uh, motor vehicle crash cases mainly, uh, big truck injury cases, that sort of thing. I also uh, handle clergy abuse cases, childhood sexual abuse cases.
0: So a full gamut of things. Yeah. All right. You mentioned the truck cases, too. And uh, boy, it's so important. If anyone out there is ever in an accident in one of these situations... Uh, Speaking of the underdog, when you're going against a big company with professional drivers that have probably a, a big firm representing them, it's important to have someone like you in that case. It's not something people can handle by themselves, is it?
1: Not at all. There's a, there's a, There are a lot of factors involved. There There's a lot of uh, fact-finding that has to take place that just, you know, normal people don't have the resources to do. And I want to say something, you know, professional truck drivers, it, it's a hard job. Oh, for sure. You know, um, it's it's long hours. Um, it... it in order to have a license to drive a truck professionally, you have to go through medical screening as well. Right. And sometimes the little guy is the truck driver. That's it's true. It's not just the pa- people in the passenger vehicles, but sometimes the truck driver gets injured, and, uh, and I'm always happy to, to help those people as well.
0: That's a great point, too. And often it may be, and I'm just speculating here, maybe the hours that they were required to work beyond what they were told what they were going to work. I mean, there's just a lot of things that go into accidents just beyond the collision that happens that we see, Right.
1: Yeah, and this might be something that that people don't often think about when they think about a big truck accident. Uh, A single truck can run off the road, and Mm -hmm. if there's somebody off-duty in the sleeper berth, obviously they don't have control over where that truck is going, but they have to count on their co-pilot to make sure that that person is well-rested and knows what they're doing and is
0: following the rules. Right. There's a lot of things going on. We talk about gathering evidence and what you do. What are the sorts of evidence that you gather uh, after an accident that help your clients?
1: Well, obviously the police do the first thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they show up, they, they take measurements sometimes, they take photographs or... You know, they're they're taking witness accounts, and those are important. Um, one of the things that people don't think about, especially if they're injured, is taking photographs of the scene, of the vehicles, of things that can later be put together using circumstantial evidence to try to find out what happened.
0: Should, do you recommend, if someone's in an accident and if they're able to do so, take as many photographs on their phone as they can? Absolutely.
1: If you can. Obviously, there are circumstances right. where you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But if you can get photographs right there, right after it happened, some of those photographs might be key and trying to figure out exactly what it was that caused the crash or who is responsible for it.
0: This is something important I want people to, to cue in on here today about the taking of the photographs because I think some people get out their phone and they take a quick zoom in of that little dent or that big dent or whatever it is, and that's it, right? You want a lot. I mean it can never hurt especially with these phones. It's not like we're dealing with uh, you know throwaway phones or we got to you know develop all this film to get as much as you can on the scene while while doing it safely of course.
1: Yeah, we live in an era where everybody's got a radio studio, a television studio, a camera inside their pocket that they can take out at any time. And it's uh it's important to use that tool the right way. So for example, you know, you can think of if somebody's using that phone while they're driving, well they shouldn't be doing that. But if they happen to be in a crash and it's not their fault, you want to get as much evidence as possible. You want to show you know where the vehicles landed uh at the end of the crash, how they ended up, which direction they were facing, which direction people were facing, what what damage there was on the vehicles and how it could have been caused. You you might even capture paint transfer, for example, from one vehicle to another and figure out which way they were going. And you can, you can figure out kind of what happened in a case that way.
0: So there have been times where you've been able to use the video or the photos taken by your client to help make their case.
1: Not only that, but I've gone after the fact and taken my own videos and photos to be able to help make the case. So yes.
0: When people are in an accident in any sort of situation, and let's say they're able to do this, should they be videoing their interaction with the other person? driver in case is that or is that inflammatory and might cause the stakes to get a little too hot
1: you never know what could happen in a situation like that okay. you certainly want to be safe i wouldn't want to advise anybody to take a risk okay but if they can take a photograph of the scene uh of the damage to their vehicles the other vehicle this the location that sort of thing that's definitely something i recommend
0: i know a lot of people now have dashboard cameras yeah in part of your investigation are you able to either see the dashboard camera obviously that maybe a client would have boy that'd be helpful but even other cameras that are around the area bystanders people like that is that helpful to cases like yours Absolutely. I mean,
1: I wish I had video in every case, right? right? And sometimes you don't get that luxury. But I can tell you a story of a client that came to me. He was a truck driver, professional truck driver. He was hit as a pedestrian walking in the parking lot of a truck stop. Oh, wow. Okay. And he had already spoken to a number of attorneys who had turned him away. Now, there was video of this incident and it was gathered by the police thank goodness and it was of a dash cam facing outward of a truck that was parked nearby of course right now this was at night it was sleeting i think you know middle of winter um and you could barely see what had happened Mm -hmm. but thanks to that video because we had eyewitness testimony basically that wasn't good for my client mm-hmm. we had eyewitness testimony and you know there's a lot of science behind how eyewitness testimony based on memory is not always not accurate good. but you know a, a video doesn't have to you know doesn't have to eat or sleep or
0: mm-hmm. remember or anything <laughs>
1: like that right
0: um, or can't be influenced by what other people say to them perhaps
1: exactly so uh, even with that video though he was turned away by other other attorneys and so you know I blew up the screen change the gain, all kinds of things that you have to do to be able to see, not only see what happened, see what direction the, the, the people were going. But in addition to that, I, I hired an expert who helped me with the frame rate and the measurements of the truck to be able to kind of figure out how quickly or how fast the other the truck was going that hit my client. And we were able to piece together through that evidence, not only that that truck that hit him was going too fast, especially in those slick conditions, but also which way they were going and that that truck had come around a corner Mm-hmm. A blind corner of a building and you know, going too fast hit my client. And that's how we were able to show to the insurance company, hey, you should compensate this person because your driver was not
0: following the rules. And we're talking about when you're able to help a client like that. This is someone that deserves that uh, outcome. Who otherwise wouldn't have gotten it. I mean, that's life, potentially life changing. I mean, he's already been, he or she's already been in a life changing event, but to be able to go in after the fact and at least provide them with the compensation that they deserve certainly provides a much better future from that point forward.
1: Yeah, this might sound crude, but a person never wins against a vehicle, especially not one as big as a semi truck, right? Right. And then imagine having to drive and, you know, sit with broken bones for a long period of time and drive a truck. If you can't do that, what are you going to do? What, what's what are you? How are you going to make a living? Mm-hmm. And so it's important f- to, to help people like that so that they can go on with their lives.
0: So it, is video evidence, it's not making your job easier because you have to obtain it and go through these sorts of things, but it can certainly be important for a jury to see or a judge to see. Absolutely. Are there other cases that you can think of where video evidence has really kind of swayed things for you? Or other examples just kind of out there that you've heard of where video evidence has really helped out?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are so many cases that I've handled where video evidence was really the key. Um, even photographs. I'm, you know, not just video evidence, but digital evidence. Um, I can give you a story about a single crush, uh, truck crash where a client had come to me who was off-duty in a sleeper berth. You know, and he was driving along, uh, and suddenly he woke up, and he's in the hospital.
0: He had no idea what had happened. Exactly,
1: and unfortunately, neither did his co-driver, mm. the guy who was supposedly behind the wheel, had no memory of what happened. So That's we scary. really had—you had one vehicle with no witnesses, and how are you going to piece together? You? Yeah, exactly what, are you what happened. Do? Well, it's it's a it's a combination of things. Uh, one is I got to prove you know who did what. And how am I going to prove that if no one knows what happened? Well, we've got photographs of the scene, and you can imagine a mangled truck, one that flipped over with pieces of metal strewn all over the the ground and and personal effects and that sort of thing. And no reconstruction expert uh, worth his weight in salt is going to say, oh, yeah, I can tell based on this exactly what happened and who was behind the wheel and that sort of thing. And in that situation, what we were able to do is we had photographs and other pieces of evidence that showed, hey, the driver was wearing blue jeans and work boots Mm -hmm. and the guy in the sleeper berth not surprisingly was wearing pajama bottoms and no shoes right right so you put those things together and suddenly we have a picture of what happened how can my client be liable for anything if he was asleep at when that happened in the sleeper berth.
0: I see what you're saying. So you find different ways to forensically put it together. Even if you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, you have enough that show what the picture was.
1: Yeah, you use what you have and you put that together and suddenly you have an idea of what it is that happened and how you can help a client.
0: Yeah, that makes a a lot of sense to me. I think it's interesting because so many of us, when there's an accident, boy, we just sit there on the expressway waiting and as they reconstruct scenes and do all this important work and it's annoying to us, but it's important work that, uh, that officers have to do and it's important for the outcomes of families and and the people that are involved in those accidents i guess we should all be a little more patient when they're going through those investigations huh
1: yeah absolutely i mean you know Gawker delays, uh, rubbernecking—you've heard those terms. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, you want to give you want to give those professionals their space so they can do those investigations.
0: I had actually never heard of rubberneck. I used to be a traffic reporter. <laughs> rubbernecking is definitely an e, a Detroit and East sort of thing. We don't say rubbernecking here in Chicago. We say Gawker or what's the other one? Oh, we'll have to have Kevin answer it in the other way. Uh, gapers delays—that's what we say when you're oh, gaping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I just love the colloquial phrases in different parts of the country, even for something as minute as people staring at what's happening. On the other side of the road. Okay, so we're going to take a break for the news here in just a few minutes. I do want to just kind of recap what you guys do, how people can reach you, what's the best way you want people to reach your firm?
1: Yeah, well, you can go on Mm paulandsteve.com and you can get all kinds of information about our firm. Uh, We are mainly... uh, Automobile accident injury attorneys, mm-hmm. and like I said, you know, I have uh, my other practice area where I, I help victims of uh, childhood sexual abuse. But if you were hurt in a crash and it wasn't your fault, you know, please reach out to us. We'll be happy to talk to you for free. And that website, one more time paulandsteve.com.
0: Very easy, paulandsteve.com. More with Dan. 720 WGN. It's Let's Get Legal. We are powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We've got a lot of guesses still, people on hold for the question of the day. Don't worry, we'll get to you in just a little bit, but we're continuing our conversation with Dan Terlecki from Powell and Peaseman. And Dan, we got a couple text questions. One was a comment from 312 that we're talking about uh, truck drivers and the situations that they get themselves in. And we have so many truck drivers that listen here to 7 Seven twenty 20 WGN at all hours of the day that sleep apnea there's a lot of problems and things that truck drivers have to deal with that I think I think we're becoming a little bit more aware as people that maybe have never driven a truck due to you know just some labor disputes that we've seen and, and the labor shortage but truck drivers have so much they have to deal with don't they
1: yeah there are a lot of rules they got to follow and uh, including how much time they have when they have to be off duty uh, and how much time they need to rest before they can get back behind the wheel. And that's important. These are federally mandated rules. But it's not just truck drivers, even people on their normal everyday commute. I mean, we're talking about cell phones here. We're talking about using cell phones. You don't want to be up at night scrolling through your, your feed here and not getting enough sleep. And then you get behind the wheel. Fatigue driving is definitely a, a danger. Not and, and sleep apnea, these kinds of things. You know, they can definitely affect people's reaction time and and how they drive a car and how truck drivers drive a truck. Absolutely.
0: I think also we think sometimes, and this is naive of me to think that, oh, these drivers must work for these big conglomerate companies. A lot of them are independent truck drivers, right? And they kind of bounce from job to job, and, and it depends on who they're working for based on what route they're taking that day, right?
1: Yeah, some of them are owner-operators. I mean, these are this is a, a professional job. When I say professional truck driver, I mean that. You know, it's not just casual driving. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go down to the corner store. You've got a lot of things you've got to have, not only in your background, the training. You have to take a specific kind of test. A lot of them take courses. You have a, a special exam for a special driver's license. You have to know how to inspect a vehicle. And there are a lot of things, a lot of factors that go into that because you're driving an an enormous vehicle Mm -hmm. down the street with families and kids and pets and and you know whoever else and pedestrians and you've got to be you've got to be paying attention to what you're
0: doing i imagine you take some pride in the fact that when people call you and what you're trying to help them through is often one of the worst days or moments of their lives i mean they're dealing with something very stressful and you help them kind of navigate that world to hopefully get what they deserve
1: yeah, I mean, lawyers get a bad rap sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes rightfully so, but I feel like the type of, with the type of work that I'm doing, I'm trying to help somebody that's been through a lot, mm-hmm. um, somebody that's been through something that wasn't their fault, and suddenly they don't, know, they don't know how the system works, they don't know how to navigate this, and they're dealing with an insurance company that is maybe looking to deny a claim. And, you know, if insurance companies acted fairly and paid and paid claims fairly, then maybe I wouldn't have a job and that would be great. (laughs) Right. But unfortunately, we don't live in that world. And so I'm I'm here to help those people that are in those situations.
0: Yeah, I think we get the interpretation sometimes just from advertising and uh, how it works and what we see on TV, that insurance companies are all there for us. They've got our back all the time. And I'm sure there's great ones that do help out. and And, you know, but they are also. On the lookout, they don't want to pay more than they feel like they need to. It's a business. It's a business.
1: Yeah, they're running a business. And, you know, to be fair, so am I. Right. But, um, you know, I'm in the business of trying to help people fight against those companies that don't want to pay a fair
0: claim. For sure. 312 wanted to know, is a drug test and a phone check, I imagine maybe a forensic look if someone was distracted, pressing buttons or texting people, are they required for every accident? When does it get triggered that you might be able to look at someone's uh, drug history or their current situation or whether they were distracted or not?
1: Well, uh Drug tests, alcohol tests—that sort of thing—for professional drug tra- truck drivers when they're involved in a crash that uh, that uh, someone was injured in mm-hmm. that, that's necessary. That's, Automatic, that's required. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, there are rules that that that, that uh, govern that for you know regular passenger vehicle crashes and that sort of thing. That's not always the case. There has to be some kind of probable cause, or the you know the police officer has to suspect that somebody was uh, intoxicated or inebriated behind the wheel, and then you know the, the, the normal procedures work there phone checks it's interesting you bring that up because i'm on the record somewhere if you deep down in google <laughs> you find my you know search through uh, well, never stuff never
0: fund the deep down google yeah but <laughs> every, okay every
1: every all the if you read all the stuff that i've written about uh-huh. this you know uh, this topic uh, you know i'm on the record advocating for when somebody's hurting a crash that the police should be able to take a look at someone's phone and see if immediately t- yeah to see if they were texting or right you know, what were you doing were you on the phone there are a lot of people sometimes you'll see it
0: if i kind of assumed along, that that was the case like if you hit someone, the police—what do they have to have probable cause that you were distracted in order to get that access to it, or do they need a court order to do it? It's not an immediate thing.
1: Yeah, it's not—it's not an immediate thing. I mean, you know, police—excuse uh, me—a a lawyer can subpoena uh, phone records if it's part of a legal matter, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily automatic that the police are going to take your phone and start searching through it. There's, you know, there are privacy issues involved in that as well,
0: and legitimate ones too. Yeah. It's but. Boy, I always just assume that if there was an accident, the phone records would be the first thing that police would look at when they try and reconstruct what happened. But maybe not the case. No, not the case. But I've
1: huh. I've subpoenaed phone records and used the those timelines to try to put together a story in a case before for sure.
0: Well, then that's an interesting question. Let's say someone knew they were distracted. That's what caused the crash. The police didn't take away their phone. They try and go through and delete whatever happened around the time of the crash. Someone like you and your team and the people that you hire to help out, can they forensically go back through that phone and find out perhaps if you were distracted, even if you think that you deleted it all off your phone?
1: Well, you might have to go through the court system to get certain permission to be able to get at certain things because, like I was saying, there are some privacy issues. But, hey, there are a lot of public things that people put up. If they're on their phone <laughs> posting on social media True. and it's public, You know, an attorney might be able to get that. And there are a lot of legal cases that, that, where that's come into play.
0: Yeah, if you're uh, live tweeting your drive-in on the Kennedy Expressway and And you hit someone, odds are someone's going to be able to find that. I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I know you're very active in our Ukrainian community here in Chicago. I know it's been a, and it's a vibrant community. I lived for six years in the Ukrainian village. I'm not Ukrainian, but uh, I was there during the Crimean invasion and just seeing the community and the neighborhood come together, the flags all out. This has been amplified now across our country. Chat a little bit about your experiences here with this community recently, too.
1: Yeah, well, I speak Ukrainian. Really? Um, my background is Ukrainian. Um, my, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. So I, I grew up in an immigrant household. Uh, my grandparents were all from Western Ukraine. And my grandmother told me a story that when she was young and the war broke out, World War II, she was in a theater listening to uh, speeches about Ukrainian independence, which wasn't really a thing back then. Mm-hmm. And um, the Nazis showed up. And her sister crawled out of a window. And my grandmother didn't make it, and that was the last time she saw her family. So I come from a family of Ukrainian refugees. Um, this is, unfortunately, a story that's repeated throughout history. And it's been really heartening to see, you know, as an American mm-hmm. with a Ukrainian background, to see so many people speaking out about this and supporting the Ukrainian community and Ukrainians in Ukraine uh, dealing with with this, uh, with this war. Mm -hmm.
0: and i in the neighborhood and beyond has really come together i think that the challenge for a lot of us is as this becomes overshadowed in the news a little bit as this lingers on there has to be renewed efforts to keep it top of mind would you agree
1: yeah so uh, apart from my professional career as an attorney helping victims of car crashes i'm really involved in the ukrainian community i have been my whole life um there's uh uh, a podcast that, that uh, I know there are a lot of podcasts hey, out there. Give but, it. Let's go. Let's but, hear it. Uh, it's called Ukraine Watch. Uh, it's mostly on YouTube and a little outlet called Ukrainian Independent Radio that's Chicago based, and uh, it's an English language show where I talk to people, experts, uh, military experts, people in Ukraine, people on the ground in Ukraine, just about what's going on because I want to get the truth out there. I want mm-hmm. people to know what's happening, and so the people care about it because it's an
0: important topic. What are you hearing about what's happened the last couple of weeks and months? Yeah, well, it's a a war
1: of attrition. I'm no military expert, you know, but this is something that's possibly going to go on for a long time. And, you know, the Ukrainians are willing to fight. Um, They just need the stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, we have to think about what kind of world we want to live in. Do we want to live in a world where uh, a dictator can just come in and say, okay, this is mine now Mm -hmm. and and take away people's rights and, and, and spread tyranny and violence and all that kind of thing? Or do we want to live in a world where... That the governments are organized by people where people have a, a right to self-determination where they have uh, freedoms uh, basic freedoms that that we enjoy in this country uh, i mean that's a fundamental choice and that's why i think it's important for americans to support ukrainians and their their fight for freedom
0: what can chicagoans do now uh to help out
1: you know this is a great question. I get asked this question all the time, and a lot of times people think that there's really nothing we can do. I mean, right. we're dealing with a, a dictator over overseas, and you know, you can't send military aid as an individual no. to Ukraine. Yeah, you know, you're not going to go fight over there. So, uh, the one thing that I'll tell people is, you know, talk to your friends and family about it. Spread mm-hmm. the word. Don't forget. Uh, keep talking about this topic because if we forget and we let this go, it, it's it's just going to. It's just going to spread in the wrong direction. And yeah. so we want, it, we want people to know what's going on over there.
0: Do the flags make a difference? Do you think they make a difference to Ukrainians there when they see on social media, you know, lit up displays on skyscrapers and flags on everyday houses? Do you think that makes a difference?
1: I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, you were saying yourself you're not Ukrainian. Right. You don't have Ukrainian background, but just showing support to Ukrainians, uh, you know, morale in this fight that's going on over there is huge i mean they're outmatched they're outgunned right but as we've seen it's over 100 days now everyone was saying you know when the invasion or the the full-scale invasion started no one ex- hours yeah no one expected this type of outcome and and you know uh kiev hasn't fallen and uh most of the territory is still under ukrainian control and it's because of the heroism of the the ukrainian people um, and their leadership and what they've been doing to be able to combat this. And I'm sure that when they're in that slog of war, when they're in that battle, seeing support from people in America and other places, I'm sure it's huge.
0: What was the name of the the podcast again so people can listen? Ukraine Watch. Ukraine Watch. Download it wherever people listen to podcasts or on YouTube as well? Yep. Okay. Um, you mentioned your immigrant background there. That's that harrowing story from your family, at uh, the outbreak of World War II. Um just connecting it a little bit to what you do, I imagine that that spirit in your family, that immigrant, you know, uh, relationship and that that feeling, it goes into the work that you do, doesn't it? Do you feel like that is giving you a different outlook than maybe other folks out there?
1: Well, I can't speak for other people, but I know that for myself, it's definitely an inspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about the things that my grandparents even my parents had to go through that i i didn't have to that mm-hmm. I'm kind of standing on their shoulders so thanks to them i have these opportunities you know my my background was auto workers everybody i grew up around was uh, was uh, uh either a tool and die maker or worked on the line at at a, at a factory and that sort of thing and because of their hard work i was able to achieve what i was able to achieve and go to law school and all that kind of thing and so you know giving back to people like that is important
0: to me I've also met Steve. He was on the program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I just, I get the vibe that you, everyone at that firm, at least the people that I've met and, and what I've read on the website, it is sort of that we fight for you sort of thing, right? The, the, the underdog. It's not only you, but it's everyone over at Powell and Peasman.
1: Yeah, that's the atmosphere there. We're, we're, we're a laid-back firm, but <laughs> in, in the sense of, you know, the the way that our I guess our everyday culture is. But we're not laid-back in the way that we fight for our clients. That's for sure.
0: Approachable, people feel comfortable chatting. Yeah, that's with you. a better way to put it. Yeah, no, I think that's important because I feel like when we call a law firm on a dark day, uh, we feel we're already in a vulnerable position, and we want someone who gets that. And um, maybe we don't know the legal world. It's maybe it's a little embarrassing. I don't know how this works. But people shouldn't feel embarrassed calling you guys, and you'll do it in an approachable way and make it make sense to them.
1: Yeah, I, every day I speak on the phone with people who are going through this for the first time. They've never been in a crash before. They've never been injured before in a crash. And I want to walk them through it in terms that they understand, hey, this is how it works. This is what happens. This is what you can expect without using legalese or any kind of, you know, in, any kind of language that will confuse them.
0: Right. 312 actually just it in that they were just in an accident on Lake Cook Road. First thing the police did was collect phones four to five years ago, they said. So that's interesting. I imagine that there are some cases where that happens and other times not. So uh, and I imagine that you would be uh, happy about that uh, scenario that the the texter laid on out for us. Dan Terlecki from Paul and Peasman. One more time, paulandsteve.com is where people can go. Can I read the phone number on your card? Is that the number you want people to reach you at? Yeah, absolutely. 312 635 paulandsteve.com. Dan, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming on by, okay? Thank you so
1: much for having me.